always good to be together in the Lord's house. It's always good to be together to celebrate, and it's good to be together to recognize God's good work in and through all of you to do God's work in all of the world. So thanks for being a part of that. So I don't know if your household is like ours. This year, Kay and I will celebrate 33 years of marriage, and it's been about 31 years of glory and honor and wonder. And No, <laughs> just teasing. She's not here, so I can do that, right? But in our household, we got china at our wedding. Did any of y'all get china at your wedding? Yeah? Did you use that china at all? Yes. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. For about 15 or 20 years, we didn't, you know, because we were weird that way, and, and we didn't use it. And it's, what's funny about all that is we have a very simple china design. It's white. It's just, it's just white. There's nothing to it. It's just white. It's got rims on the plate, right? But for some reason, we thought, well, we shouldn't use that because we've got other cheap stuff, and so let's use that, right? And then finally, about 15 or so years ago, we thought, we got all this stuff. Why don't we use it? Let's start using it, right? And it's plain enough that you can use it for everyday work, and so we started using it. Well, what happens when that takes place, as you well know, is you start breaking plates, right? Or you chip cups, or you... Uh, and so now, in our original set of 12-piece uh, setting, we've got like nine dessert plates and 10 coffee cups and, you know, one or two chipped plates. And that, I mean, that's just a reality. And my hunch is it's a reality in your house too. I mean, it happens. We have kids. You don't take care of it. You don't work at it well. You set something down hard. You drop something, right? I mean, it just happens. And I'm sure your household is like ours, that when stuff like that breaks, we, we just toss it. We don't spend any real time trying to figure out, well, how can we mend that or how can we rework that? We just kind of, we kind of throw it away. And over time, that's what's happened. And I think for many of us, that's a part of our everyday lives is we just kind of throw things away. We, of course, live in a very disposable society and culture, don't we? In fact, so much so that it becomes a reality for all kinds of things, not just our china or not just nice things, but if a lamp breaks, we trash it. If a stool breaks, we, you know, tip it out and get rid of it, right? If a toy breaks, we um, uh, distribute it out to the trash can. If a relationship breaks, we might even dump it. And if our life and our values of who we are seem not quite there, we feel sometimes worthless if our life becomes broken. And I reflect on that and wonder, how did we get here? How did we get to this point in the world when, when anytime something breaks, whether life or lifeless things, how did we get to the point of just trashing it? And it comes to my mind several months ago as we're working into this worship series called Restoration. We reflected as a team on an ancient Japanese art that you may be familiar with that helps us to better know that we shouldn't be trashing things, but we ought to be treasuring things. Perhaps you know it. Kentsugi is the name of this art. It's an ancient art practice that takes um, broken pottery or broken plates, and it uses uh, plaque and gold, usually, sometimes other metals, and it takes it and makes it beautiful and stronger. It started some centuries ago with a Japanese shogun warrior who had a, ja a Chinese cup of some kind that broke, and he cherished that cup, and he wanted it repaired. He didn't care for the repair work, so he commissioned a Japanese artist to make good of it, and somehow that turned into kentsugi. And it is beautiful. And will you pull that up again? You take what's broken, 
and you fix it, but you fix it with a fine gold, and it makes it stronger, more resilient, more clear, and more able to be used in any number of ways. Kintsugi. Now, I'm not suggesting you go break some plates so that you can make kintsugi, but I am suggesting that we think about this concept of restoration because the concept of this restoration in kintsugi is amazing. It, it, it takes something that was no longer whole, was seemingly ugly, was no longer useful, had no real purpose, a broken cup, a plate, a bowl, a jar, a pitcher, and it makes it beautiful, and it puts it back together, and it gives it strength. And this restoration concept might be good to reflect on in our lives. Because who among us isn't broken? We don't have to raise hands. We all know that at some point in our lives, maybe years ago or maybe right now, we have had our broken moments. We've had brokenness in relationship. We've had brokenness in our workplace. We've had brokenness in our homes. We've had brokenness in our own personal lives. And unfortunately, we have often believed the lie that when we were broken, we were worthless, not whole, not of any value. And we did things about that that sometimes were not healthy or helpful or hopeful. And a part of what we want to suggest throughout this series of restoration is that our God, through His Son Jesus, can offer us restoration can take our brokenness, much like this Japanese art form, Kintsugi, and make us strong and resilient and unique and beautiful. The Apostle Paul would write about this in one particular place when he wrote to the church at Corinth. In the second chapter, he simply puts it this way. He says, we have this treasure, meaning our life and our faith, we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. You see, this is the beauty of what God has in store for us. This is the wonder of God's desire for us as we move forward throughout the season of Lent. And so here's our goal for the next six uh, weeks as we move towards Easter and the glorious resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look at the brokenness of Jesus I want you to hear that again. We're going to look at the brokenness of Jesus in all of His humanity. Jesus is 100% human and 100% God, and in all of His humanity, He had brokenness, right? It started when He entered Jerusalem, and in that last week of His life, we're going to reflect on several of those broken points in His life and how He uses those to restore us. We'll start today with His Last Supper. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We'll look at His arrest, at the denial of Peter. We'll look at the trial. We'll look at the crucifixion. We'll look at His burial, all of which are broken points for Jesus, and all of which are points of restoration for us. And we will see the beautiful good work over these next six weeks that Jesus can do for our hearts and for our souls and help restore us to wholeness and beauty as God designed us. But we'll not look only at our own restoration, we'll also look to help our sisters and brothers in Mozambique, as you heard earlier from Jackie Watkins. This has been our tradition now for the last three years, and during the season of Lent, we try to have a generosity focus as well. 
And because we've had an almost 25-year relationship through United Methodist Ministries in Mozambique and um, Chikuki in particular in southern Mozambique, we want to continue that heritage and this year specifically. We want to help with job creation through microloan programs that will also help start and initiate a sanitation program. Can you imagine? We so often take for granted sanitation, that our trash will be taken away, that things will be nice and pretty. There are communities all over the globe who don't have sanitation. And we're going to try to initiate for the very first time that, and our goal is $50,000, and I know that you will prayerfully consider how you can not only restore your soul in Jesus, but you can help bring restoration to our friends and neighbors in Mozambique. Let's look at Jesus and how it is that in his brokenness, he can help bring restoration to our lives, to our hearts, to our souls. So in that last week of his life, Jesus enters Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And one of the first things that he does is he engages in a meal with his disciples, his friends, right? His colleagues that he's called. And he sits down at what you and I know would be a Passover meal. We now refer to it as the Last Supper. It's recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew's Gospel, however, has the most intimate and personal reflection on both the brokenness that we uh, participate in and the restoration that Jesus offers. Listen in Matthew chapter 26 as we hear the story and what it means for us. That evening, Jesus took his place at the table with the 12 disciples. As they were eating, he said, I assure you that one of you will betray me. Just in case the conversation was a little light, he wanted to make sure they understood, right? Deeply saddened, each one of them said to him, I'm not the one, am I, Lord? He replied, the one who will betray me is the one who dips his hand with me into this bowl. The Son of Man goes to his death just as it is written about him, but how terrible it is for that person who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Pretty clear, pretty direct. Now, Judas, who was to betray him, replied, It's not me, is it, Rabbi? And Jesus answered, You said it. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many so that their sins may be forgiven. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a powerful story? For in the midst of a broken part of Jesus' life, he shares with those with whom he is most intimate the very nature of their own sin, right? I mean, they sit down, they gather together, and instantly Jesus is like, you're going to betray me. You're going to turn your backs on me. You're going to deny me, if you will. And I think to myself, man, that's a harsh conversation, isn't it? And you can well imagine why the disciples, uh, many of them seemingly would say, well, surely it's not going to be me. I mean, surely I won't do that to you, Jesus. But Jesus is very clear in a very public and corporate way, I will be betrayed. And he's going to lay it out there very clearly that this is going to happen 
by the very folks whom he called, trained, mentored, coached, prepared for ministry, sent out in ministry, and it's going to be one of his very own who will betray him. And so he makes it very clear, this is your sin. And he speaks it boldly. He speaks it clearly so that no one at that table could ever be uh, in the dark about what's going on, right? In fact, he uses that, uh, that horrible analogy. It would have been better had, had you not even been born. Who's going to do this? Some of you will recall that one of the other gospel uh, accounts says it would be better had a millstone been tied around your neck and thrown into the water. Jesus is very clear. This is not good. It is not whole. This is broken, and it will happen to me. Very public, right? So you can feel a Paul even over the crowd and over the conversation and, and sense that all is not well, right? And sin is the culprit. Betrayal will be its format. And then we move into kind of a, an intimate conversation. It appears that there's a, almost a sidebar conversation uh, with Judas, right? And Jesus, uh, after having said, golly, it's going to be the one who's dipping his hand in the cup with me, then there appears to be a private personal conversation in which uh, uh, Judas says, golly, it, it, surely it's not me, Jesus. And Jesus does so well what Scripture would identify. You have said so. You are going to be your own uh, worst enemy. You will be the witness against yourself. You will bear testimony against the sin that you will commit. But notice it's a private conversation. Jesus is not berating him publicly. Jesus is not lifting him out among the crowd. He's simply acknowledging not only will we be in this bad way, but you in particular, uh, Judas, will commit this atrocity. But he's gracious enough to make it private personal. But then notice what happens. After a very public acknowledgement, after a very private commitment, Jesus simply breaks into what you and I now call the Lord's Supper. He takes the bread, he blesses and breaks it, he hands it to them. Notice what's taking shape. There is no more berating, there is no more condemnation, there is no more flagellating, there is no more sort of condemning. It is simply, let me offer you the meal of redemption. I have already identified your sin, I have already helped all to know what the error of your ways is, what the brokenness in your life is, and now I want you to experience wholeness and restoration and redemption. So he offers his body, he lifts the cup, acknowledges that it is, is his uh, blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in that moment, the ugliness and the brokenness of humanity is restored. And it is a beautiful image of the way in which Jesus can take our brokenness, our ugliness, and place a gold paste upon it and work our lives together. And this is the gift of the Lord's Supper. It is the meal of redemption. It is the meal of restoration. It is the meal that helps bind us to the one who makes us whole. In fact, it is the most tangible and unmistakable form of Jesus' restoration of our lives. 
It's why when we pray this prayer before we receive, that we say that it is, uh, may, the, may the cup and the bread become the very essence or presence or reality of Jesus with us. Because He is here. And we will ingest and digest Him and take Him into our being. And He will make us whole. What an amazing gift that is in His body. Through his, bread, through his blood, through His sacrifice, He offers us a remembrance and a hope that is beyond compare. And that is why we come, right? Because here's our reality. We don't, we don't often acknowledge this. We certainly don't like this. But when we come to the table, and today, friends, you will come to the table and it will be a glorious opportunity for restoration. But when we come, we come broken. Some deeply, some mortally, some simply, but we all come broken. And as we come broken, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in our workplace or whether it's in a, our personality or whether it's in a, a mental or a, a physical health circumstance, whether it's from addiction, whether it's from any kind of circumstance in our life, when we come broken, we receive the new life that Jesus can paint us with and recreate us with. And as a pastor, and every pastor on this staff can attest to this, we know so many stories of brokenness. And when you come, it is to our great delight that we can witness in you a recreation when you receive the Lord's Supper. And we can witness in you being made whole again. And we can witness in you the gold inlay kind of recreating your life. And we can witness in you the power of God's Spirit overlaying your life. And it makes such a difference. And you have felt it and known it. And it is powerful. It is not unlike the way the prophet Jeremiah in describing to the Israelite nation as they were, had gone astray and he was trying to bring them back into the fold of God. He used the imagery of God as the potter, right? And in Jeremiah chapter 18, he speaks into the Israelites' life and he just kind of comments to them, family of Israel, can I not do this like the Lord has done this for you, that you would be like clay in my hands, God says, and I can mold you and shape you. And friends, there's no better potter, <laughs> there's no better shaper, there's no better molder than God. And there's no better way to have that encounter of God's usefulness in our lives than through this connection of Jesus at the table when He comes to us and we stand at His feet and we acknowledge what He can do for us. And man, I cannot help but reflect on that ancient art form. For is it not in that gold dust that we begin to see that our brokenness in the Kentsugi is making us whole and making us beautiful and bringing new life? And is it not in and through Jesus' life that we begin to find that He has offered us strength and beauty and wholeness and that His light shines on us through His crimson sacrifice? And then isn't it a gift that Jesus can shine brightly upon us through all of our cracks 
and He offers a bit of binding, and He offers a bit of wholeness, and He offers a bit of strength. And so my invitation to you this day, as you come and receive, in the midst of your brokenness and boundness, is that you allow Jesus to work on your heart, that you allow Him to take your head and your heart and your hurt, and you allow Him to mold you and shape you and to recreate you and to make yourself from broken into beautiful, and to take your ashes from just a few days ago and weave you into beauty. You see, friends, as you come, you will receive a glorious gift. You will receive the gift of God's body and God's blood. You will receive the gift of the one who gave himself most fully and broke himself that you might be whole. And what a powerful gift that will be. And my prayer for all of us this day in particular is that we might realize maybe for the first time or maybe once again that your life as broken as it may be, as bowed as it may be, is not worthless, should not be trashed, but rather should be treasured and be made whole and beautiful and strong and resilient because of the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a gift it will be, and I pray you'll experience it. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the way in which He poured Himself out for the salvation of the world. Thank you that in the midst of our own brokenness and frailty, that we can lean on Him and rely on Him and recognize Him through His great crimson sacrifice that we can be made whole and that we can be more beautiful than ever before because through His sacrifice, we have been made strong. And through His suffering and pain and death and ultimately resurrection, we have been bound together with Him that we might share that good news with the world. Thank you, God, that that gift is true. God, this is our prayer. And we lift it in the name of the greatest potter there ever could be, Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.